Let's continue in worship with a reading from Luke's Gospel, chapter 24. Now on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him, and he said to them, What are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. And then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place in these days? And he asked them, What things? And they replied, The things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how our own chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. And moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find the body there, they came back and told us uh, that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see him. And then he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. And as they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it's almost evening and the day is nearly over. And so he went in and stayed with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. And then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? And that same hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, The Lord is risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. And then they told what had happened on the road, and how he had been made known to them, and the breaking of the bread. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are alive. Thank you for resurrection. We thank you for Easter. We thank you for the Bible, God. We thank you that these things come to us today with joy. We pray, Lord, that the joy of these things would speak louder and more authoritatively and more decisively than all the other things swirling around us right now. We open ourselves to you, Holy Spirit, and we pray for your presence and your power to come and to heal our hearts and to fill them. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So there's not a lot of stories in the New Testament that are post-resurrection accounts. So when you come across one, it's pretty precious. And this is a really good one. It has these two guys, Cleopas and the other guy. And they are disciples of Jesus. They're not a part of the, the inner 12, you know, the inner circle of, of, of apostles. They are just followers of Jesus, but people who had been in the city with him probably all week, almost certainly seven days before, they had paraded with the apostles and Jesus into Jerusalem. They'd waved palm branches. They'd heralded the coming of this conquering king. And now here they are a week later, walking back outside those same city gates heartbroken, devastated. Everything they thought was going to happen that week hadn't happened. In fact, only the opposite had happened for Jesus's followers and friends. And it is into that heartbreak, it's into that 
disillusionment. It's into that devastation that Jesus shows up. The first thing we see in our text is that Jesus enters their conversation where they're at, even though he knows more. He, he enters, and there's actually something about the way he enters. It's, he's just kind of willing to play along in a sense. You think about where these guys were at this moment. They, they're full of sadness. They don't understand. They're full of questions. And Jesus is there um, to meet them where they are. He's going to bring them out of it, but he's there to begin with them where they are. And he does this all throughout the Gospels. In John chapter 11, for example, that story where uh, Lazarus, Jesus' friend, has died. Jesus says before he gets to Bethany, he says, I'm going to raise, we're going to go wake Lazarus up. He's going to go raise him from the dead. And yet when he gets there, he spends considerable time with Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha, weeping with them. Why would he do that? Because it's not below Jesus to enter into the pain and the loss of the suffering that a person is experiencing. Jesus is not above lowering himself in that way. And John also tells us in the gospel, the story of washing the feet, he tells us how that's possible. He says, Jesus uh, at the upper room, he says, knowing that he had come from God and that he was returning to God, he got up from the table and took off his tunic and tied a towel around his waist and began to wash his disciples' feet a behavior that was reserved for only the lowest servant in the house. And Jesus is willing to do it. Why? It's not because he has a martyr complex. John tells us why. He's willing to do it because he has supreme confidence in himself and who he is in God. He knows who he is. And out of his self-knowing, he is able to be at a level of servanthood, of humility. And that's not easy to do. Uh, it's, it's, it's not easy when you're with a person who you know you know more than them or you know you're more mature than them. It's not easy to, in a sense, to lower yourself to their level. It's so much easier to, to be above them, to look down on a person, to condescend, and Jesus chooses not to do that, which means he chooses not to do it for you and me too. I just think about all the times where Jesus is just willing to enter my life where I'm at, even though he knows more than me he's willing to be with me in the struggle, which is incredible. There's, a, there's the, the way that he does it in this story, I think is so winsome. He, he, there's a playfulness to it, actually, what he's doing. He, he asks them questions that he knows the answers to. What happened? What things happened in Jerusalem? He's in that moment, he's bearing in his body the, the marks of his resurrection, and he's asking them about his own execution. There's something just hilarious about it to me. Jesus is willing to enter into their conversation where where he's at. And the whole time, I just imagine he's just got this secret, this smile he just can't wait to crack. And how many times in my life have I been just writhing under the pressure of a moment or feeling so overwhelmed by a season and so incapable of handling the pressure of the moment? And Jesus is just with me in that pressure. He's with me in that moment. But he knows the whole time that there's a good word that will be spoken at the end. He's able to look at me even when I'm at my lowest and I don't know the way forward. And he's able to be with me in that moment, in that apparent darkness. But it says in the scriptures that even dark is light to you. He's able to be in the darkness, but he knows the light. He sees what's coming. And in my darkest hours, Jesus has always been able to say, I know the end and the end is good. And because of that, I can be with you where you are now. Now, he doesn't want 
his people to stay there. He doesn't want Cleopas and the other guy to remain there. And so what he does is he begins to help them understand what's going on. It says that he explained to them that the reason they couldn't understand the events of that weekend was because they hadn't understood that the whole Bible had always been pointing to him and to these events, which is the second point. Jesus uh, shows that the entire Bible is speaking about and to him. Now, I'd been a Christian for a long time before I was taught this, but it changed the way I read the Bible forever. I imagine this will be new for some of you as well. Uh, Jesus does some real in-depth Bible study with his followers after the resurrection, and I would give anything to be in on those classes because he says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, shows them how he is present in all the scriptures. He does it later in Luke 24 as well for the people in the upper room. Jesus wants us to understand that the book has always been pointing to him primarily, that it is always It has always been centered first and foremost on on him. The people and the events and the circumstances of the story, they do matter. In fact, Paul says at one point that these things were written down for our instruction that we might learn from their example. So Ruth and Deborah and Esther and Moses and Peter and David, these, these people are given to us as examples to learn from and sometimes to follow, times to not follow but they are our foremothers and our forefathers, and we are, are right to read it that way. And yet, and yet we miss something if we don't understand that every story, every person is always and forever pointing to someone greater, to a greater event. And this is why the early church picked this up as its way of reading the Bible. The apostles did it. Colossians chapter 2, it's a, it's a letter that Paul wrote. He says that the sacrificial system, the ceremonial cleanliness laws, the laws about food and drink and Sabbath, all of these, he says, were, quote, shadows, but Christ was the substance. The book of Hebrews tells us that the tabernacle was actually ultimately about Jesus, that the priesthood was about Jesus, that the Sabbath was ultimately about Jesus, that all these things were always pointing to him. Paul, in 1 Corinthians 10, says that the rock that Moses struck in the wilderness that caused water to come out of it, he says the rock was Christ. He says when Moses hit that rock, that rock was Christ. He also says that the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud that led the Israelites through the wilderness was also Christ. Jesus in John chapter 3 says the bronze serpent that Moses lifted in the wilderness from the book of Numbers. He says, that's me. That's pointing to me. He's all, the Bible is constantly referencing itself and saying it's all been summarized and wrapped up and found its home and its center in Jesus. You could keep going in this, but Jesus looks at a group of religious teachers of his day and he says, you search the scriptures and you do it in vain because you think that it is in them that you have life, but it is they that bear witness about me. And yet you will not come to me, he says. In other words, if we view the Bible merely as an end to itself and not as a thing that is meant at every turn and in every story to always point our direction and point our heart's affections and point our, 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 our eyes towards Jesus, we will miss the purpose for which it exists. It is here to show us constantly who God is through Jesus Christ and to point us towards him. They get to where they're going, they get to Emmaus, and Jesus acts like he's going to keep going. And they say, no, 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 please, we want you to stay. And he says, oh, okay, I'll stay. And that leads us to our third point. Jesus wants to be invited in. Now, I have two very distinct things to say about this uh, portion of the, 
uh, of the text, but I, I think that they both really speak to the season that we're in right now. The first is this. Uh, these two people inviting a stranger to come and spend the night at their place probably feels weird to you, but it wouldn't have felt weird to them. In fact, it wouldn't have felt weird to really anyone living uh, in, in that part of the world at that time. And it's still, to this day, in many parts of the world, wouldn't feel weird. Hospitality is at the center of many cultures and societies around the world. Not so much with us. Um, we live very individualistic lives, very segmented lives. We live behind high walls. We're deeply self-sufficient. We don't actually want a person uh, to, to, to do something for us. We want to do something for ourselves. And because of that, we are not good at either giving or receiving hospitality. And yet I think it is utterly essential that the church begins in this moment right now to imagine itself as those who will bring back a spirit, a deep spirit of hospitality, of open doors uh, in, in this season. And I know it's a little crazy at this particular moment in history to talk about bringing people into your house because no one's allowed in anyone's house. And yet there will be a moment on the other side of this where we will begin, I think, to live out, to live out this reality that we need one another. <laughs> You know, people did hospitality in that day. They still do hospitality around the world, not because people are trying to be polite. I mean, yes, but also because they understand that they actually depend on one another for survival, for, for, for life. And maybe if there's a good thing that might come out of this season for you and me, it's that we finally believe that we actually do require one another, that we are in this together and that we need one another to do this right. The church has to be willing to pick up this practice because there will be real physical need on the other side of this. And there's going to be a need for people to be willing to humble themselves to the place where they can express a need. And then those of us who are willing to be inconvenienced, to put ourselves out, to give gifts that can't be returned or repaid ever, simply because it is actually Christian. In fact, Matthew 25 has this story. It's a really cool story called The Sheep and the Goats. Jesus tells about how every time a person extends hospitality to another and they bring a stranger into their house or they, they meet the physical needs of someone who has needs or they go and visit a person in prison or they go to the hospital and visit someone who's sick. Jesus says in Matthew 25, when you do that, you are doing that to me. I receive that personally in my own self as though you were showing kindness and hospitality to me. I think it's important for us to be asking during this season, what are the things even in my own home, in my apartment, in my house, what are the things that I can be doing to make myself ready to be a hospitable presence in my city? And right now, maybe it's just this love your neighbor initiative. It's just giving to that so that I have out of my overflow, I'm able to give and meet the needs of people around me. How is my imagination open to the idea that God may be asking me to open my doors. Now, the second thing I want to say, very unrelated and yet related, is that in this story we see a, a pattern of Jesus which is important, which is that Jesus is invited in and it's after he's invited in that he reveals himself for who he is. It's after he's brought into the house that they see him as he really is. And here's why I think that's important. It's a pattern I see throughout the Gospels, and I've seen it in my own life. Jesus wants to be invited in, and I know that very few of us are willing to say, come on in, take everything, you can have it all. I don't need to have a say over anything. Very few of us are able to do that. But could you give him a little bit of space? Probably a number of us in here are uh, watching this right now, like, 
Can you give him a little bit more space? As we invite Jesus in, it's then that he reveals himself for who he is. And I've just found in my own life, as I, as I invite Christ to come in, into my life, and to begin to have, maybe say over little parts of my life, or maybe I just begin, maybe, maybe you, you, you don't, you're not sure what you think about Christianity at all, but you could like, you know, create a little bit of space and read, read a gospel about Jesus. Or have conversations with a friend who's a, a follower of Jesus and ask them lots of questions. What would it mean for you today to just create a little bit more space and just invite Jesus in? He wants to be invited in, and after he's invited in, then he reveals himself for who he is. Finally, after he is revealed, it says he's revealed through the breaking of bread. Luke undoubtedly is putting that in there. He, he wants you and me to be thinking of communion. Jesus has always in the church been revealed through the breaking of bread. The, the presence of Jesus has been experienced and seen and felt and tasted in the Eucharist. And I imagine that many of you, like me, that's something that you miss tremendously during this season. But we'll do it again. But in between here and there, Jesus is revealed and made visible to us in various ways. And after he is revealed, it says, here's our fourth point. The presence of Jesus gets us moving. I've been really inspired by this this week that the guys, when they hear this, uh, when they meet Jesus, they don't stay there the night. They don't lounge back. They don't look at each other and say, my, what a weird day this has turned out to be. Let's open some wine. No, they get up and they run to Jerusalem. They run seven miles to go and tell their friends. Why? Because their hearts have been struck with love in the presence of Jesus. And there's been a whole lot about this season where I have felt stuck. I have felt like I don't have anything to give. I don't have very much to offer. And maybe you can relate to me in that. And I was, I've just been really touched by this idea that like being with Jesus moves me out of, out of myself towards others. And that there is something right now today I could do about that. I can move towards the people I'm with in my house. I can move towards the people that I have on my phone. I can move towards others in love. Not, I'm, not taking, I'm not going to my neighbor's house and making them uncomfortable as I stand in their doorway. I'm just with the people who I can be with right now. I'm choosing out of this moment, out of my time with Jesus, I'm moving out of that with love towards other people and being curious about them. Letting them be where they are, even if it's not where I am. And so may you and may I find ways even today to move towards a person and to to meet them where they're at with the same sort of mercy and grace that Jesus moved towards you and me with. And may you be willing in that moment to offer to them the love and the joy and the presence of Jesus that is available to you and me, the winsomeness that's available to you and me, because we know at the end of all things that the end is good. We're going to confess our sins with one another. And so if you would pray these words with me, you may just want to even put your hands in front of you as we pray these words and, um, and invite God to receive this prayer. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. By what we have done and by what we have left undone, we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. We are truly sorry, and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. May the Almighty God have mercy on you. Through Jesus Christ, may he strengthen you in goodness 
And by the power of the Holy Spirit, may he keep you in eternal life. Amen. Jesus meets us. He finds us where we are. He meets us in that place, and he offers to us peace. And so I say, may the peace of Christ be with you. If you happen to be with someone right now, move towards them and exchange that peace. Otherwise, you may want to pick your phone up out of your pocket and just send a quick text to someone. Mike is going to sing a song of blessing over us. And after that, we'll come back together to pray the Lord's Prayer in closing.